Yes, haha, <laughs> yes. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tam Yancey. Tim, it is so great to see you on your own Zoom account today. Yeah, we finally got the computer fixed up, but it turns out that uh, we did have to go the nuclear option, so we wiped the whole thing, and I started again from scratch. Excellent. How much did that put you back? Nothing. Uh, so I already had the Windows install media. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, okay, fine. I had, to buy a, I had to buy a USB stick, so $8. Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah, and it, it took a lot less time than I thought it was going to, because I thought it was going to be the whole rigmarole. So for anyone who knows any, knows much about computers, uh, the hard drives are set up in what's known as a RAID array. So I thought I was going to have to redo redo that before I could reinstall the operating system, which would be, as they like to say, a lot of work. But it turns out, no, I could just treat it like a hard drive and uh, do a quick format in uh, with uh, the Windows installer, dump everything, and then start again. So I do want to give a quick shout out to your wife, Chelsea, because the last couple of weeks that we've been doing the Third Line Plug Sensecast, she has allowed you to use her computer. So again, shout out to Chelsea. She's the real MVP. I think Chelsea's been the true MVP of this show ever since she beat both of us at the free agency tracker. Oh my God. I totally forgot. Oh God. I forgot about that too. <laughs> did she, did she just win bragging rights on that? Do you recall? Uh, we were supposed to buy her a drink. Yeah, and I think the I think the idea was that she was gonna do a selfie holding two bottles, where we're just giving the thumbs down. Yeah, or like us pushing her in a shopping cart through like a co-op liquor store. Yep. Yeah, I'm actually amazed that that never happened. To be perfectly honest, that would have been a really funny picture for our Twitter account. But you know, it's been three years later, so. Yeah, neither of us drink so. There you go, man. So, Tim, we got to talk about today's cover athlete because today's episode is Season 4, Episode 12, in chronological order, Episode 89, the Miguel Botker episode of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So, just a little background about Miguel Botker. He was drafted 8th overall in 2008 by the Phoenix Coyotes. He spent parts of 10 seasons with the Coyotes, Colorado Avalanche, and San Jose Sharks, before being traded to the Ottawa Senators along with Julius Bergman in June of 2018 for Mike Hoffman. Bacher went on to play 91 games over two seasons with Ottawa, recording 9 goals, 30 assists for 39 points in 91 games. So, and I was thinking about this about Miguel Bacher, Tim, because, you know, even here on the show, like, we were quite critical of Bacher's tenure as a Senator, and I want to get your thoughts. I don't know it's really if it's that valid, how much of that criticism is based on his play or is it more based on the fact that he was the main piece coming back from Mike Hoffman? Um, I think it was a bit of column A, a bit of column B. Because uh, Mikhail Bodker just fell off a cliff after he left San Jose. His Ottawa seasons were uh, some kind of awful. Because honestly, at San Jose, he was putting up 
two points an hour, uh, playing pretty good second, third line minutes, uh, like borderline second line minutes, and putting up a decent amount of points. Then he comes to Ottawa and it just, it falls apart. And then uh, he loses the trust of uh, Guy Boucher and never really makes it back in the lineup. And uh, yeah, his 2018-2019 season was ugly. He wasn't pushing pucks the right way. He was getting hemmed in his own zone and he was the fault. And getting hemmed into his own zone was kind of his fault. And yeah, he couldn't finish either. So I don't think it's unfair that uh, Bodker got the criticism he did, but I think it was intensified by not trading, not just trading Hoffman in division. Yeah, which is what the Sharks did anyway, and they got a couple yeah. of seconds for him. But I actually want to think about this, because when talking about Miguel Bodker, and obviously he was the main piece coming back in that Hoffman deal, do you think the criticism would have been as big on him if he had just, say, signed as a free agent with the Sens? I think it wouldn't have been as intense, but it still would have been there because he was not good. No, he wasn't. And that's the thing about Bacher, Tim, is that I was... When he became our cover athlete, the one thing I was trying to think of was, like, think of a moment of him as a senator, and I just was drew I drew a blank. Because all I thought of, and you're absolutely right, all, all the criticism against him, as you were mentioning, like, yes, he got hemmed in his own zone, he couldn't finish... But that was always kind of a criticism of him anywhere he went, even in Arizona when he played there. He just, yeah, he put up, and if I'm not mistaken, I think he put up a 20-goal season in Arizona as well, is that, I think your name tree put it best, is that he was the player for about a five-year stretch was that Docker will be good when he plays with better teammates. And that just never happened. He never took that next step. Because, again, like I said, he's a, he's a top-10 draft pick. I would have never guessed that. I, I honestly would have thought he was a mid-round pick. But, I don't know. Maybe it's because Bacher was drafted in the top 10. Maybe that's where the criticism against him in his whole career came from, was the fact that, okay, you're a highly ranked draft pick. You didn't really... I don't want to say he didn't really panel. He, he put up some okay numbers everywhere he went other than Ottawa. But, I think for myself, I think if he was drafted, say, in the later first round, we would have been just like, okay. It is what it is. Although I do wonder how much that is played a lot with Chris Tierney and uh, that line combo was ugly. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Which is funny that Tierney ended up coming to Ottawa from San Jose. Because <laughs> him and Tierney were ugly at San Jose too. True, but you know what? At least Tierney and DeMello and Norris and Stutzla, at least they ended up doing really well when in the Carlson trade. Yeah, fair. So, Tim, we're going to talk about next week's cover athlete poll. Because next week's episode will be Season 4, Episode 13, in chronological order, Episode 90. Now, we've got a real barn burner here, Tim. Because we got three names on the board. We've got Alex Chesson, Darren Archibald, and Vladislav Nemestikov. You know... I completely forgot that Darren Archibald existed. He's somebody who I recognize the name, but I couldn't place where I've recognized it from. Because he's not like, and you know, when, when we talk about our cover athletes, the term, remember him from the EA Sports games, but not as an Ottawa Senator always applies. I don't remember him even from that. 
and it's funny because I just googled his name, and uh, all I see are photos of him in Canucks jerseys. Was he part of the Anders Nilsson trade? Looks like it. Uh, yeah, because he came to Ottawa. He came to Ottawa in twenty the twenty eighteen twenty nineteen season after playing a handful of games with the Canucks over five years. Who did we even trade him for? I remember I was talking about that. Oh, we traded him to the Marlies, and then I guess he came back. Oh? Yeah, he was part of one of those minor league swaps with the Marlies. Oh, okay. I was trying to picture, like, where exactly... I recall we remember talking about him, but I couldn't remember he was uh, a part of the Canuck trade at all. Well, it looks like he came over in the Anders Nielsen trade, Mm -hmm. and then we traded him to the Marlies for someone. And then I guess we traded, or we let him go. He went to the Marlies, and we traded back for him. And now he's out of the system in Vienna. Yeah, well, it's funny. What a weird thing. Actually, you know what's really funny? I was reading about Bodker today, and he's over in uh, H.C. Langel in Switzerland as well. Oh, wow. Well, he is Swiss, right? Bodker? No, he's from Denmark. Oh, okay. He's Danish, yeah. So, Tim, now that we got all of that out of the way, I've got to talk a little bit. And actually, i got to ask the all-important question. Because I understand that you got to do some toilet smashing this past week. Do you care to talk a little bit about how your week's been going? Yeah, so uh, Thursday night, go to bed thinking, oh, I'm, it's going to be a great long weekend. Uh, I wake up in the morning and Chelsea's like, yeah, I, I got hungry last night. So I went downstairs and uh, I heard that the toilet was refilling and she was saying that that's weird because nobody's used this thing in about seven or more hours. So she goes and she's like, oh, the, the flange at the bottom, the flap on the flange in the in the tank isn't closing right. So she tries to close it and she breaks the handle and the flange. So I wake up to those like, yeah, this is broken. And uh, we could get a kit to fix it for $20. And I'm like, no, this toilet doesn't even work at the best of times. I'm not going to pay $20 to prolong its life and be an old shitty toilet that dumps like four gallons of water every time it flushes. We're going to get a new toilet. So yeah, we went to Lowe's, got a new one of those uh, dual low flush toilets uh, and a bunch of tools that I was going to need to remove the toilet because... Turns out, when it comes to demolishing things, I'm a man with a plan. So the plan was, okay, we're going to drain the toilet, make sure all the water's gone, we're going to take it out one piece at a time, put it in a garbage bag, and uh, whack it up the side with a sledgehammer so I can put it in my black bin instead of paying dump fees. So that whole part actually went pretty swimmingly. So, Tim, when you're talking about swimmingly, are you referring to the fact that we actually had to twi- take a quick commercial break here for you to use the washroom? <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it just sneaks up on you. The power of editing, eh? Like, they would never even know that we had to stop recording here, Tim. Yeah. This is well, why we'll never win an award, Tim. It's because of tomfoolery from yourself. Oh, I thought this was just payback for all the times that I mentioned dumb stuff that's happened off camera. 
no, that's fine. I don't care about dumb stuff you talk about off camera, but when it's on camera and on the uh, mic, actually, that's fine because it generally if it's on camera, it's on the record, and you know all of our three listeners like to hear that sometimes. I guess well, that's Scott, that's yeah. the truth. But continue on with your story, Tim. So basically, where you were at is that you were talking about how you smashed up your toilet in garbage bags so you can throw it in your black bin and not dig it to the dump. Yeah, so. the hard thing was we then tried to fit the new toilet, and it turns out. When they built the house, where they put the water pipe going up, it was way too close to the toilet and was underneath its footprint. So we had to cut a hole in the floor, move the pipe, bring it back up, and then attach the toilet. So that was my Saturday. Was cutting a hole, was getting a handyman to help me cut a hole in the floor, then me grouting where the hole was. And then... uh, getting the toilet in, then realizing that our floor, as houses do, become became less flat, so we sent Chelsea on a wild goose chase to get shims. What's a shim? Uh, so a shim's basically a little piece of wood you put under something to make it level. They're oh. about like a quarter of an inch thick. Oh, okay. Once that was all said and done, yeah, the toilet was installed and it works great. Uh, and it's crazy because like the tank, the old tanks, yeah, they're like these massive things, like like two milk jugs big you know what i'm talking about oh yeah the new one it's like the size of maybe two pop bottles if that like it's really thin and yeah it only uses like maybe two liters of flush it's awesome you notice sorry tim sorry to interrupt your story here but you know what i was thinking about was remember that episode of king of the hill when uh hank became the he became that uh fuck i can't remember the name of it anyway because he got the low flow toilets in his bath in his bathroom and took like five flushes for him to flush anything down. Yeah. Well, it's like they're good now. Yeah. I got to ask though, toilet wise, what kind of toilet did you get? Did you get the one that has a little like circle on top with the two buttons that push yep. down? Yeah. That's what I got in my bathroom. That's awesome. eh? Yeah. And well, there's way more robust than the fucking handle. Because those handles break all the goddamn time. Okay, I got a story for you. Okay, you know the little arm inside the tank itself that has the chain? So basically, the chain on the old toilet used to pop off all the time. So basically, I just got pissed off one day. And now I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a handyman or anything like that. I decided that I'm going to fix this. It's an easy fix. And I just basically said, okay... This thing's got a little too much slack. If you kind of add lack of slack to it, it'll like push up the fucking plunger and the thingy will pull up. All the water will go down and it closes. No problem. Zip ties won't work for that. So I zip tied the chain onto the arm itself until it broke off. Again. So you've got a zip tie stuck in your toilet? No, this was the old toilet. And this is before we decided that we're going to take the old toilet out and put the new one in. But I do got to ask, and I think we, did we talk, I don't think we talked about this on air. I know we talked about off air, because we talked about, was it the, um, the bidet? The bidet that shoots the water up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the reason, because I think I mentioned that to you, what was the reason behind not getting one of those? Uh, so, we don't have a plug in the right spot. They require mains electricity, so we'd have to get a new uh, circuit installed. Okay. Now, I, I got to ask, because I know you and Chelsea have been to Japan a number of times. Have you ever used a big day? Yes. What is that like? Because I just I get this weird idea 
that I don't know how I feel about, like, a stream of water getting shot at my ass when I'm on the toilet, but... That's basically what it is. But I'm more there for the heated seats. That's primo shit. Oh, yeah, that's some, like, next-level stuff, man. The only thing I can think of... And maybe it's kind of stupid because I'm relating back to The Simpsons. Remember when they were in Australia and they had the, <laughs> the, the fucking toilets that went counterclockwise and then like the machine made it clockwise and Homer starts crying? <laughs> yep. That was awesome. So I got to talk a little bit about my week, Tim, because, you know, much like yourself, like, you know, you're talking about doing some home improvement stuff in the bathroom. We were doing some home improvement stuff around the house as well. Now, I know... On these episodes, you might hear banging and smashing upstairs. So basically what we were doing is we were ripping out the old floor, putting in the new floor in the hallway and in my mom's bedroom upstairs. So my stepdad and my sister's boyfriend came over yesterday, so they finished that up. So I was helping painting today. It was not that bad. Like painting super kind of, it, it, it's easy for me because it's just like, you know, you give me a paintbrush and a roller, it's super like, I kind of have an idea of what I'm doing. It's super easy. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I was doing today. I was just getting some painting done. I had my headphones in. I was listening to Dead Mouse on Spotify. And, you know, just making a day of it, really. Not that bad. No, that actually does sound pretty fun. We'll probably have to paint in here at some point. But, no, it's good that you guys got the home improvement stuff going, too. Absolutely. And I know for us, I know that... The kitchen, the living room upstairs, the hallway that's coming into like the main foyer or whatever you want to call that there. That's all going to be taken out. Because that, that floor's been in there since we moved in. This is almost 20 years ago. And I think the downstairs where I am, because I'm in the basement, I think that's going to be the next one that has to be done. The basement. Yeah, the basement, the bathroom, my room will probably be done. So yeah, it won't be too bad, obviously. And... Well, I'm not super into that kind of stuff. It's just like, oh, okay. It looks nice. Like, once it's done, like, yeah. the floor upstairs looks amazing. So, got to give it that. Yeah, no kidding. That'll be awesome to see what it looks like when it's all done. Oh, yeah. It's super nice, man. Super nice. And it's funny. Even, like, today when I was doing some painting, I got a chance to listen to the new Mark and Mathod episode with Mark Borowiecki. I didn't, you know, and maybe it's just me, but I tend to forget how funny mark borvietsky actually kind of is even in that interview when uh boro and meth were asked or meth and wally were asking boro if he misses ottawa he says uh yeah you know i miss ottawa whatever he says uh and he says yeah wally i kind of miss you sometimes i guess <laughs> i kind of miss was i don't think boro cop would have worked with anyone other than mark borvietsky you know because, like, he has that particular type of comedic timing that relies on a bit of... It's not quite deadpan, but it's kind of got that goofy grid earnestness to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like... Oh, God, what would be a really good comparison? I guess... I guess The Office, but, I mean, again, I've only seen the first season of The Office, so I can't really comment. Maybe Parks and Rec, maybe one of those kind of shows, but... But you're absolutely right. Yeah, he, he's not very deadpan, but he has that kind of just comedic timing to him that really works. But I will say the one thing about the Wally and Mathashio is that I really love when they have ex-players on the show, especially ones that played with Mass, because you can tell there's such a comfort level talking to him. 
where they just talk with him and I think Wally had like the final question and they continued talking for the like, next 15 minutes telling stories about playing in Ottawa. <laughs> like that stuff's awesome. Yeah. No, and it's like Corvette's game of thought both seem like just funny stand-up dudes. I know. I mean, I, I still can't wait until the day that we get uh, meth on the show. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Well, you know, Tim, this would generally be the time of the episode where we would talk about last week's episode, but I guess we really... There's not a whole lot we can really talk about last week's episode other than the fact that I think the only comment I could really make about it... Well, two things. I, th- I don't think this is the first time that an interview has out-viewed... A regular episode. Well, I mean, it should. Well, yeah, with Craig Madogli. I mean, come on, how can you not? That was such a great interview. But also, the only comment I really got on last week's episode, Tim, is that you can tell we were running on empty by that point, by the time we got to that episode. Yeah. Well, it was definitely, that was part two, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely the second of a back-to-back. So, yeah, I kind of get it when they talk about the Ottawa Senators playing back-to-back nights and the second game's not that good. We were kind of like that. Oh, for sure. Part of us, even a couple of us, you know, the both of us, we even kind of forgot that was the fucking the Battle of Ontario episode by that point. It was just like, oh, that's the... I forgot today's that episode. I think you said as much halfway through top of the hour. No, it was before top of the hour. I will say the one, the one highlight from that series. What about that segue though? That segue that went off the track and on the track. Oh man, look like a seasoned that. veteran on that baby. Oh, Tim saying dumb shit. Yeah, pretty much. It's just a staple here in the third line plunk sense guys, Tim. That both of us say stupid shit. So powerful. Exactly. So, Tim, this would be the time of the episode where we would segue into this little segment I I like to call Top of the Hour. We've got to bring back one of our favorite segments, Discussion Point. So, for those that don't know, Discussion Point was, is a segment that Tim and I do here in the Third Book Sense Guys, where we would look at a news story, a hot take, or something that we see online, and we comment on it. Now, this one actually relates to last week's interview with Craig Madoglia, during the rapid fire segment where we actually mentioned if he could steal Bob McKenzie's phone and send out one tweet that would create complete havoc, what would it be? And it got me thinking, I would like to know what our opinion and what our takes on this, Tim. So I'm going to do something a little crazy here, Tim. Uh huh. And this is the power of zoom. We are going to share screen and I am going to bring up, this scenario. So, this comes from Hockey Reddit. And, well, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's U-VY99. I think that's the handle of it. So, scenario. You hack into Bob McKenzie's Twitter account. You have time to send one tweet. And you have to cause the most chaos. What do you write? So, I'm going to let you take this rain here, Tim. Because I think you have a pretty... I know you probably have a pretty good idea of what you're going to say. For this one. If you really want to get people scrambling, you announce a rumor that Rogers and Bell are divesting the Maple Leafs. Despite the fact that neither of them own the Leafs? They're part of the ownership group. I thought it was just MLSC. MLSC is held by Rogers and Bell. Oh, is it? 
Yes. Oh. As well as Ontario Teachers. Oh yeah, the Ontario Teachers Fund. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I forgot. I remember. I remember that, but I didn't realize that Rogers is a part of MLSC. Yep. Or at least that's my understanding. Is that uh, Rogers and Bell have operate? They have. Yep. Rogers owns thirty five percent. Sorry, thirty seven percent. Bell owns thirty seven percent, and the Master Trust owns nine point five, and Kilmer Sports owns the remaining twenty five as major shareholders. Solid. Yeah, so yeah, so it's mostly held so two thirds of it's held by uh sorry, over two thirds of it is held by Bell and Rogers. So if you really want to see people scramble, say that Rogers and Bell are selling the maple leaves. Now given that we are talking about the leaves and I do agree with Greg Medaglia, Craig Medaglia is that you would have to send out a tweet that causes just mass chaos amongst the Leafs fans. McDavid for Matthews, one for one. Now, I actually debated that whether I should say McDavid for Matthews or McDavid for Eichel. I think McDavid for Matthews stirs up more shit. I guess you also could have gotten uh, Bob McKenzie going full trigger on the on the bitch martyr situation that probably would have caused some chaos which Mitch Marner situation are you talking about uh Mitch Marner's RFA contract oh okay where Dreger was saying that the Leafs were gonna pay the moon and they did and they did but yeah no I'm gonna stick with uh corporate interests because that one well actually that one would probably might get you thrown in jail if it causes a big enough issue to move, like a big enough uh, amount of pandemonium that people start moving assets around. Yeah, they start selling then socks. That's securities fraud. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I can't see you going to prison. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could do minimum security. Oh, Tim, you know you wouldn't be doing minimum security. You'd be doing like hard time. What, for securities fraud? Sure, why not? They all get minimum. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm still going to go with uh, one for one, just because that is such a Bob McKenzie tweet right there. God, remember uh, P.K. Subban for Weber one for one? Member Hall for Larson? I still can't believe that happened. Remember, it was supposed to be Hall for CC one for one. That Senator's team would have been stacked. The Avalanche would have got the number one pick if we had done that. Guaranteed. Guaranteed, yeah. Well, Tim, with all that being said, it's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Still a pretty good segue, I have to admit. It's not as good as last week's, but it's still pretty good. So, you know, Tim, you, we've been doing the show for the last four seasons, and still, I hate talking about death on top of the hour. And this is a story that I mentioned last week, and now we got to start talking about it. Former Boston Bruins forward Bobby Schmatz passed away at the age of 76. Schmatz played parts of three, 13 seasons in the NHL with five different teams, the Chicago Blackhawks, Boston Bruins, Edmonton Oilers, Colorado Rockies, and two stints with the Vancouver Canucks, including... 
their expansion season of 1970-71. Recording 271 goals, 286, 286 assists for 557 points in 764 games. Schmatz's 77-78 season with the Bruins saw him scoring the OT winner in Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Finals and being one of the 11 players on that team to score 20 or more goals in which he scored 27. Okay, so the 11 20-goal scores, and I always remember this because Don Cherry mentioned this in one of his really early Rock'em Sock'em videos when they're talking about unbreakable records. And it's funny when you go back to that video when you hear him talking about some of those records, like Terry Sawchuk's 103 shutouts, which is broken, and some of the other records, this is the one that I think, I don't think, this is the one that will never be broken. Because it's just such an absurd thing, you know? Yeah, but Don's reasoning for it was actually pretty smart, and he said this in interviews too, is that once the Bruins went up like three or four goals, he just started routinely playing his third and fourth lines. And this is how he got 11, 20 goal scores. And it's funny because when you think of greats his time as a Bruins head coach, like he had four straight first first place finishes. He went to the Stanley Cup finals. And yet this is still one of the more remarkable things of that tenure, especially because you look at some of the names and there's really not a ton of Hall of Famers on his Bruins teams because Bobby Orr was already gone. Espo got traded. There's really, let's see here. There's Park. You got Mike Milbury. Uh, Jean Rattel. <laughs> Milbury. But yeah, there's like maybe two. I think there might be three in that list. But yeah. So talk about Bobby Schmott. He's definitely a player that I do recall growing up as a hockey fan learning about. Given that, again, Don Cherry mentioned him all the time in his Rock'em Sock'em videos. And he's definitely a guy that... History, I don't want to say history is kind of forgotten about him a little bit. But when you look at... That stat line, that's still pretty impressive. The fact that he played 13 seasons, he went to the Stanley Cup Finals, he put up over 500 points. That's still pretty pretty good for a guy in his career. Yeah, especially because he was over 30 when he did that. Tim, even though we started talking off, started off this episode talking about a death, we got to start talking about a good news story. Carolina oh. Hurricanes defenseman Dougie Hamilton became the 102nd player in NHL history to record 100 career goals. Hamilton recorded four goals, 26 assists for 30 points at 36 games for Carolina at the time of the story. And Dougie Hamilton has been dominant again this season. So I'm not surprised. He's been all over the ice for Carolina. I think he's been everything they want, they could have asked of him. Well, the funny thing he's about, been fantastic. Yeah, and the funny thing about Dougie Hamilton, Tim, is that if you go back and look at his stat line... In Car- not Car- not so much Carolina, but looking in Calgary, like he put up really good numbers in Calgary, but just maybe the personality, the personality clearly didn't clash in the lo- locker room. As he'd rather go to a museum than Moxie's, I think we've already disca- established that. But you no, know, it is really good, and I think Dougie Hamilton's a guy who really good defenseman. He's really set into a really good role with the Hurricanes, where he can just quietly do what he does on the ice, and he does it well. Yeah, and he's part of the reason why that Car- that Carolina defense is able to do what it does because he's an elite first-line defenseman. And you've got... Even their top two play pairs are pretty elite. Who, who would be in their top two pairings right now other than Hamilton? There's Jake Bean. 
Is Bean even in the top four? I think he is. Because you also Bean, you also uh, got uh, Jacob Slavin, Slavin, Brent Pesk, and oh. I think right now uh, Jake Gardner's injured. Then they have Brady Shea to round it out. Oh, Brady Shea! Back, I forgot about that guy. He was a good defenseman for the Rangers when he played there. Yeah. But no, yeah, like uh, the Carol. Carolina is pretty strong up and down, up and down. Uh, that's also where Max McCormick ended up, eh? Yeah, there's a few senators I think on that team. There's him. There's uh, Paquette's on that team. All right, I forgot we sent Paquette there. Yeah, I know it's hard to forget, eh, Tim? Yeah. So, Tim, we got a couple of fines to talk about. Now, this is not the usual kind of fines where it's a third or fourth liner, you know, tweener yeah, kind of guy. These are the creme of the creme of the NHL. Edmonton Oilers captain Connor McDavid has been fined $5,000, wait for it, the maximum allowable under the CBA for elbowing Montreal Canadiens forward Jess Perry, Kokotekanemi. This is McDavid's first NHL fine. That's not, I'm not gonna. That's kind of a hard last name to say. It's Kota Kekanemi. Yeah. So I will say, and you know, there's a this was this really caused a lot of stir on Twitter this past week when talking about McDavid and the fact that he didn't get a suspension or anything for this. But I do agree. Like McDavid t- takes a lot of shit from a lot of people, but I think for me, <clears throat> it, when talking about McDavid, I always think about Tim Stutzla because. Especially against Montreal, have you seen some of the hits he's taken by the Habs? Even in the games this week, they were showing yeah. some of those plays where he just got cross-checked in the face, he got cross-checked in the neck. I'm just like, and there was no calls on those plays. But you got to understand is that McDavid will instantly be targeted because he's the best player in the league, and he carries yeah. the puck. Yeah, so it's like, it might not be fair because it, it was a pretty bad elbow. But it's going to take a lot for the game to be willing to suspend one of its stars. And this reminds me of when Alex Ovechkin avoided a suspension for almost Andy Crosby's career. When was that? Uh, wasn't it Ovechkin running Crosby for the second concussion? No. Why did I think it was Ovechkin that did? No, no. it's because it happened in the Caps game. It was... Um... Was it? Uh Something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I I don't know where I really stand on this. Because, again, I do agree. Connor McDavid takes a lot of crap from a lot of people. But, again, was that really necessary to throw an elbow at that kid? Like, I can understand if it's a tough guy who's been, like, needling you all night and you take a run at him. Okay, I can understand that. It's heed-the-moment sort of thing. You take a run at a guy. But... Connor McDavid is just one of those players that he's going to be targeted because he's the best player. He'll be targeted because he's always carrying the puck. But again, he's got to learn that, hey, this is the name of the game, kid. Like, the league's not going to try and protect you. If they sure as shit was not protecting Crosby 15 years ago, they're surely not going to protect you today. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you got to... You gotta stick up for yourself, but you gotta stay within the lines. 
it sucks, but it's the way it is, right? Not to be outdone, though, Colorado Avalanche forward Nathan McKinnon has also been fined $5,000, the maximum allowable under the CBA, for for unsportsmanlike conduct after he threw a helmet at Arizona Coyotes forward Connor Garland. This is McKinnon's first NHL fine. The only comment I really got on this, what a fucking noodle arm McKinnon's got. He just gets a little, eh, little underarm throw at him. Like, I can understand if he, like, got super pissed and just threw overhand as hard as he could, but it's just like he just kind of fucking just lunged it right at him. Yeah, it's a shitty thing to do. And yeah, he deserves the fine. Yeah, and, and yeah, it doesn't help that it looks like a goddamn uh, noodle arm. <laughs> I I don't know about you. When I saw that clip, I just started laughing. I'm just like, that is just embarrassing. But I always kind of look at it the other way though, Tim, because if you play that clip in backwards, Connor Garland was actually using the force. Using the force oh. to throw the helmet at McDavid, and McDavid caught it, Mitter. I looked it up. It was Matt Niskin and not Ovechkin that hit Crosby in the head and concussed him in the Washington-Pittsburgh series in 2017. Oh, okay. Okay, don't you mean uh, 2011? Uh, no, 2017. Oh. Yeah, he was only out for six games. Oh, okay. I thought we were talking about one from 2011. But... The McKinnon one is a little bit different because Arizona blew the avalanche out of the water in that game. And, okay, yeah, tensions were running high in that game because nobody likes to lose that badly, especially if you're as talented as Colorado is. But it's not like Nathan McKinnon to do this. And it's just so weird to see him do that because he just seems like one of those guys that, yeah, apparently he's very competitive. He does have a bit of a temper to him. But... You see him, and he looks so composed on the ice. It's so weird when you see him just lose it like he did. Yeah, and especially because the Coyotes this season, like, sure, they're NHL five over five hundred, but they haven't been. They haven't looked great doing it. Let's just put it that way. No, it's been. I mean, it, in fact, I haven't really followed the American team, so I can't really comment. But yeah, from what I hear, it's not been pretty in Arizona. No, it's basically they get chased out of their barn, frankly, and then the goalies just hold the fort. Vegas Golden Knights forward Chandler Stevenson has been suspended three games and will forfeit $71,120 and, wait for it, 70 cents for elbowing Los Angeles Kings forward, sorry, Los Angeles Kings defenseman Tobias Youngfoot during their game on March 31st. Stevenson has recorded seven goals, 13 assists for 20 points, and 32 games for Vegas this season. Yeah, this this was a nasty hit. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I agree this was suspendable, but this also was a hit that really caused a lot of debate on Twitter, especially after the Connor McDavid hit, was what if... Like, what if Connor McDavid had done this? Would Connor McDavid be suspended for this? Because it does seem like there's a bit of a double standard when it comes to players in the NHL. Yeah. Honestly, I think he would. It was that. It was bad enough of a hit, honestly. Yeah. Because I think it was worse than McDavid's elbow. Which, 
McDavid did get a fine for, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, McDavid would probably get eat a two, three-game suspension for this. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue that, Tim. I really... Like, I really have no comments on the hit itself. It was suspendable, I'll give him that, but it does bring up the double standard between him and, say, a Connor McDavid, right? And this is yeah. why that I brought it up. So we actually got a trade to announce. Florida Panthers have traded forward Vinny Hinostorza Hinostor- to the Chicago Blackhawks for forward Brad Morrison. Hinostorza is a minus two in nine games for Florida, while Morrison recorded... Three goals, two assists for five points, six games for the AHL's Rockford Ice Hogs. You know what I should really do, Tim? I've, I've always tend to do this on top of the hour. For guys' names that I'm really just looking at, and I'm not sure how to pronounce it in full. And I'm trying to... You, you might have a better idea. What, what's the name for that when you kind of... You see a, see a word, you see a name, but it's like in like parts. Uh, I don't know what the actual name is for that. But, uh, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. If I know for a lot of the team websites, they will have pronunciation guides on them. Yeah, and I know and ho- it, their hockey DBs have that too, and yeah. I should have done that too. Um, but for Hinostroza, this is a player that it seems like there's been high hopes for, but it's just it's never really put it together outside of. A promising early start in Chicago and Arizona. And just nothing happened in Florida. So this looks like a team that's basically just cutting bait. Yeah, and they get a depth pickup for it anyway, so you can't say they didn't get anything for him. Yeah, because like right now, he's he's not pushing play and he can't finish. So we got to talk about a signing, Tim, and this one's actually a pretty big signing this week. Vancouver Canucks have re-signed Thatcher Demko to a five-year, $25 million contract with an AAV of $5 million. Demko has recorded a 12-11-1 record with a 9-1-7 save percentage for Vancouver this season. Could you imagine how awful Vancouver would be this season without Thatcher Demko? Well, I was going to say, because I was just reading about this today, Imagine if he was a part of those COVID cases that they have with the Canucks right now. Yeah, no kidding. That's scary, eh? Like 20 cases on that team? Well, it's basically the whole team. The whole team at that point. Yeah, and it's funny because the North Division really has been the one division that hasn't really been affected by COVID yet. Like, we've been pretty good up here. Well... We might have, like, one or two guys at the very beginning of it. Montreal. Well, yeah, true, more recently, yes, but overall, we've been doing pretty good. Yeah, but at the same time, given the failures of the Canadian governments broadly, it's not surprising that it would happen eventually. No, I'm not surprising. I'm, like, I'm not surprised about this at all, Tim, given the the rollout of the vaccines going on right now. But I do want to comment one thing, and I was actually reading about this on Twitter. So the Blue Jays are actually playing a game down in Texas today. Yeah. They're playing in front of 40,000 fans. Yeah, that's what happens when uh, most of your state is vaccinated. It just doesn't matter. I, and the funny thing is, is Texas is no worse for cases than its neighbors or states that are doing full lockdowns. Well, and they're the only state right now in the U.S. that's completely mask-free. Yeah, no, it's... I'm uh, just like, 
my head just hurts trying to comprehend that. I mean, I I envy them, frankly. If if we had done a better job rolling out the vaccine, we could be there too. Period. So, Tim, we're going to close out top of the air by talking about our Ottawa Senators. Now, I know since Twitter over the last little while has talked about the Senators signing some of the kids that we have at the University of North Dakota. Now, there was a big debate this week. There was, do we sign Jacob Bernadocker or do we sign Shane Pinto? The Senators basically said, why not both? The big thing is, if they didn't sign Jacob Bernadocker this year, my understanding is that he could just go to free agency proper. The Ottawa Senators have signed Jacob Bernadocker and... Shane Pinto to three-year entry-level contracts. Bernard Ocker recorded three goals, 15 assists, and 18 points in 27 games, while Pinto has recorded 15 goals, 17 assists for 32 points in 28 games for the University of North Dakota. Yeah, I'm very excited for both uh, Bernard Ocker and Pinto because uh, they look fantastic for North Dakota even into that 5 OT loss. Okay, so I didn't... Here's the thing, and I think I, it's pretty obvious. I haven't watched any of these North Dakota games. I know people on Twitter have talked about it quite a bit, and I think that's my... the only thing I've really been following. And that's insane, that you go to five overtimes, and yes, it sucks when you lose. But, much like with Tim Stutzel and the World Juniors... Remember when they played when Germany played Canada and they lost sixteen to two, and then oh. the next day Tim Stutzel got signed with the Sens. This is pretty much that for them. Yeah, although the Fighting Hawks looked way better because like it was a more even competition. Burner Doctor looks v- incredibly poised when he's on the puck, and I think uh, even if he's playing third line minutes, he will he should bolster the Sens defense if any of that translates right away and Shane Pinto he's he's on the Hobie Baker list if I remember correctly he is yeah I think there's a lot of people who are voting for him right now now if I'm not mistaken I think you could probably correct me if I'm wrong Tim but Jacob Bernard Ocker I think the earliest he can play for the Sens is next Saturday because really you only need a seven-day quarantine to join the Sens. So that wouldn't that be great, eh? JBD joins the Sens for our episode next week, the third line plug SmackDown episode. I just want to see what he can do. Uh, same with Shane Pinto. Man, it's so weird, eh? Like, we have all this hope and optimism now with a lot of the young guys really coming into their own. And, yeah, they're, no and they're just coming now. Yeah, so it's like, I really want to see. I'm, I'm kind of excited for next year. Watch as they completely break our hearts next year. As as long as we get a bit more stable goaltending, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. Because the Ottawa goalies this year, up until we got the run of Decord, Goose, Goose, and Forsberg, they couldn't stop a beach ball. I mean, Jesus, remember remember Matt Murray when he played? Mm. Yeah, well, when he had butt at the door. No, wait, that was Richter. Matt Murray punched something, right? No, that was to Chuck. That was to Chuck. Yeah, that was against the Canucks. He came off the ice and he punched the glass behind the net. Not behind, right. No, he did behind the net, but uh, behind the bench. 
Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to start starting to start. Fuck. Time to start talking about some games. Now, we got two games on the schedule. We've got the Canadians versus the Sens, and the Sens versus the Canadians. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> okay, Jim, let's start talking about the Canadians versus the Senators. This is a 4-1 Canadians victory. Canadians goals were scored by Philip Dandenault, Paul Byron, Corey Perry, and Brendan Gallagher. Sens goals were scored by Connor Brown. Shots were 38-23 for Montreal. Montreal outplayed Ottawa for a majority of this game. Both teams started off playing with energy and creating scoring chances. However, Ottawa's play dipped following the Habs opening the scoring and never recovered as Montreal took control and didn't let up. So I gotta start talking about Philip Gustafsson. 32 saves, a .895 save percentage. While I don't think he looked bad. No, I'm, not, I'm gonna go ahead. So I don't think he played that bad despite the team in front of him. I was just trying to think of like, did he really play that bad? Did he really play that good? But now nah, he... Didn't look all that bad. Honestly, it could have been a lot worse. Especially because, God, Ottawa just conceded the slot. Like, the Habs just got in there with impity, and all three of those goals, sorry, like uh, Deno Perry and Gallagher's goals, all came from prime real estate. There was not a whole lot Gustafsson could do, because those were labeled shots, all three of them. Like, that's a game where you need a goalie to steal the game. But you can't really blame, hang the loss too much on him. No, not at all. And I mean, there's not really... There wasn't a lot of players in this game that really had a great game. The one player that looked very noticeable on the negative side was Thomas Shabbat with four shots and a minus three. Now, I know Sam Twitter was all over him, especially on the Paul Byron goal, because it did look like he just gave up on the play. But... I kind of argue that because, again, Thomas Shabbat, the Sens have just ran him so ragged that moments like this are bound to happen, regardless of who you are. Yeah, and it sucks because this is the second time in two games that something like that has happened to Shabbat. Like, at the end of the game against the Leafs in overtime in this game here, he was really fighting it. And it uh, looks like Ottawa's getting blown the fuck out tonight as well. Well, so, thank God I don't have to watch that game, eh, Tim? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So it's like, you have to wonder uh, just if the poor guy's in the spin cycle and uh, what can be done to kind of get him out. And then it also doesn't really help. This is a game where you have uh, both Coburn and Brown in on defense. Sorry, uh, Josh Brown. So it's... Your third player is going to be less than nothing. Riley and Zub were okay. And Zaitsev has uh, kind of gone back to uh, the, the Zaitsev we know and love. Well, I don't know about know and love. Definitely no. But, yeah, this is just one of these games where the Senators didn't look very good. Their legs clearly were not going. Now, obviously, they've been off for a week, so... That's kind of understandable, given they hadn't played a game in almost almost seven, eight days at that point, so it was their first game back. The only other comment I've got on this game 
again, I'm going back to reverse retro jersey, and I can't remember who made the comment, but somebody made the comment, and it actually made a lot of sense, and it perfectly illustrates my problem with these jerseys. It's the black numbers on that jersey that it's so hard to read. It's a hard jersey to read on the ice because all you see, it's just plain black on red. Which does not stick out when you're looking at a wide shot. Now, obviously, like I said last week, close-ups, okay, different. But they're just, it neither, the numbers need to be white or there needs to be an outline. Like, say, a white or a gold or something that really stands out to make it noticeable. And that made a lot of sense when I read that. I was like, that's what I was trying to say. They perfectly illustrated what I was trying to say. So that's great. No, that's fair. That's fair. It's just... That's really the... The only thing that really stuck out to you was the... Was the jerseys, eh? I mean, honestly, it was just one of those games where... Ottawa just didn't look good. And I think it's just one of these games, and I think... You will understand when you hear some of my comments this week is that because at work, I've just been run so ragged. And once I get home from work, I'm just exhausted. I just lay down. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll watch it, but... And then it doesn't help that uh, Colin White left the game with an injury. No. So, yeah, while in this episode, it may seem like I may not have a ton of notes on these games, I did watch them. And, yeah, that's... Well, it's just this game there wasn't a lot to say about it because Ottawa's defense did not look good and uh, Ottawa's forwards just didn't get a lot they got decent volume but they didn't have a lot to show for it they weren't great shots and yeah Ottawa got caved in over 50 shot attempts at even strength That's, uh, that's not good No. so it's like what else is there to say Exactly. The only really thing we can say is maybe we should turn our attention to the second game of the evening. Sens versus Canadians. This is a 6-3 Senators victory. Sens goes to score by Evgeny off with two, Connor Brown, Brady Tuchuk, Artem Anisioff, and Drake Batherson. Canadians goals were scored by Josh Anderson with two and Tyler Toffoli. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams throughout the game got plenty of scoring chances and shots as Montreal did lead in the latter. However, Ottawa was the one that ended up with the W. So this is a game that there were so many players to really talk about, Tim. I couldn't list all of them. So here's some of the ones that I really noticed. Artem Anisioff, three assists. Thomas Shabbat looked way better in this game, two assists. Dadunov finally scored for the first time in how long with two goals. Antoine Forsberg, 35 saves at .921 save percentage, and Clark Bishop with four shots. And that's not even mentioning the Ottawa power play opens the game with a goal. Oh, like, the Brady goal. That's so good. Yeah, and it was just such a nice feed. I watched that a few times <laughs> when I saw it on Twitter. Uh, just Batherson really works that up. Sees Kachuk and gets to a bone in. Like, it's beauty. It's a shame that they couldn't get a second marker on that extended power play. But one for two with the way that this Ottawa power play's been going, you take it. And then getting a short, getting a shorty before the period is out with Connor Brown, that was awesome. 
this was a really undisciplined game, eh? Oh, totally was. It totally was. But you know what, though? It's a game that, after how Ottawa played in the previous game, was a really good bounce-back game, though. Because both teams came out flying. Both teams created scoring chances. It was just a high-paced, entertaining game from start to finish. Yeah, I'm sad that I missed it, and I had to condense it. Uh, one thing that is really a bit funny about this game is just the only player that I could say that kind of let their team down was Carey Price. Yeah, Carey did not look good in that game, and especially on some of the goals. I'm trying to remember which goal it was. I think it was... I want to say the Formington goal. No, uh, an easy off. Cause he just kind of like he swatted at it, and Carey's just stood just later like, oh, it went right through oh, me. Yeah, that's the form. That goal got credit moved from and he swapped to Formington. Okay, that's okay. And you know what? This is the that's the one comment I have on this game because I looked in the stats and everything. Because I always when I put these game recaps together on my end, anyway, I always like to try and make sure that I get all the stats right. And that's the number one I couldn't figure out because I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, Anisioff scored, and yet. He's got three assists. But I think for me, I think the reason why, and this was a big thing on Twitter, the feed cut out. Yeah, during the goal. <laughs> halfway through the, was it halfway through the breakaway or whatever, one of the goals, the feed just died out. Yeah. So they're staring at, like, black, and it comes back, and the sends it scored. Like, yeah, the joke was, it's, oh, why can't we see the sends do good things? But Tim, how will this affect the Leafs? That is the perennial question, my dude. Okay, I got now talking about the Leafs. Did you see this article? I can't remember who put it out. Maybe like Sportsnet or whatever. They're talking about how the Leafs fixed Alex Galchenyuk. Uh I just looked at that and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Oh my god, this is so stupid. And so since Twitter just decided to troll the Leafs, it'd be like... Well, in fairness, you know who also the least fix was Milan McCulloch and Jared Cowan. Oh God! They went. Through, they were just trolling the Leafs, and it was actually kind of funny. And they were talking about how I'm trying to remember. I think it was like Ryan Dezingle or somebody. I'll try and bring this comment because I I can't do it justice until I actually read this to you because it was kind of funny. So I'm gonna quickly bring it up on my Twitter. That's like. The results haven't actually even been that particularly impressive. Because it's four point four points, one go- one goal, three assists in eight games. No. Okay, here it was right here. This is from uh, Fred Finnegan's Ghost. And he just has like a smart-ass comment. It says, how the Sens rebuilt Ryan Dezingle. My column for The Athletic. And so James Wood on Twitter is just like, really great piece. Shows how the Sens are the best organization in the NHL. And I just comment with, it's a miracle what real development can do for our young player. Take notes, <laughs> NHL. But I think the reason why I brought this up is because I know I tagged you in this, too, from Brendan Deck Dietzler. I think that's the last name. He talked about how the Leafs, hash in quotes, rebuilding Galchenyuk is the equivalent of my eight-year-old self putting in or pulling out my Pokemon Red game that isn't working, blowing on it, putting it back in my Game Boy, playing it for 10 minutes, and realizing it's the worst Pokemon game ever created. I was down with that one until the last sentence. Pokemon Red is a fantastic game, especially for its time. I'd sooner go back to that game, despite the game-breaking bugs, than Pokemon Sword and Shield. 
And you know what's hilarious, Tim? I was just looking at your comments right here, and that's exactly what you said, too. <laughs> I love it. I, Red, I never played growing up. I think the only ones I played, I played Yellow I owned. Yellow's the same thing. Blue I played. Red I yep. didn't. Because I th obviously Red's the one with Charmander on it, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, because I think, yeah, yellow was po was Pikachu, red was Charmander, and I think blue one was the dude that shot the water out of his back. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I've always been pretty happy with, uh, I think Crystal was probably my favorite from the older games, and then uh, Pokemon Platinum from the DS ones. Yeah, it's amazing, eh? Like, after all these years, even though, like, Pokemon Mania has really died down in the popularity of, like, the mainstream... People still love it. People still love it. Those games are still coming out. And I think the last... I think with the revival of Pokemon through Pokemon... Um, ah, fuck. Was I'm totally blanking on it right now. It came out of like five, six years ago. Oh, Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go, thank you. Yeah, with that, it really just goes to show like, hey, there's still that nostalgia for it. And it really... It's not really nostalgia though because uh, you basically have parents introducing their kids to it. So it's organic growth of kids that, like, five to ten-year-olds nowadays getting into it. So it's almost like the series is evergreen. And uh, what's funny is that, have you been paying attention to uh, kind of Pokemon card scalping on eBay? No, not at all. Uh, the prices have been going insane. Really? Because basically what happened is you got some YouTubers that are just pumping... Probably it's all oh, look at this shiny Charizard. Oh my god! Oh my god! And then uh, people with their stimulus checks and nothing to spend it on are just buying fucking Pokemon cards. And then people think they can make money off these people who don't really know what the MSRP is or anything like that's worth by buying a product then just relisting it for a higher price on eBay. So yeah, Pokemon cards uh, the prices have gone through the roof just because there's a lot of demand and uh, we printed a bunch of money. It's got to go somewhere. So it's gone to Pokemon cards, among other things. I mean, I, I know you have a better understanding of that than I do. Because, I mean, again, I didn't grow up being a big Pokemon fan. I definitely knew of Pokemon. I played the games. And I will say, like, I still like Pokemon Snap, even after all these years. It's just a low-key, laid-back fun game. Yo, we're getting a new one, eh? No way! Are you serious? Yep. New Pokemon Snap for Switch. I'm not sure... If it's come out, actually, let me just check that. New Pokemon Snap. Uh, let's see. It releases at the end of the month. No shit. And I don't even own a Switch either. Is it time? No, I don't think investing that kind of money into it would be worth it. I think I, I think I might have Snap in uh, the games when I was was collecting N64 games. I might have it in there somewhere. Unless I... No. Mm. No, actually, I don't. I never even bought Snap, actually, more than I think about it. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff coming for uh, Pokemon this year because we're getting uh, the remakes of Diamond and Pearl, which came out almost 15 years ago now because I remember uh, playing those with the guys at Q of A back in 2007 when they hit. Goddamn. Remember when, like... Uh, like Drew, Trevor, and I had all had the DSs out playing the new Pokemon game that came out the year we graduated middle school. Yep. Yeah, that's the games that's getting remade. 
Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, and then uh, we're getting a... This game looks... We don't have many details on it, but uh, they're doing like a... Like an open-world Pokemon game that's set like in kind of the medieval period of the Pokemon world called Pokemon Legends Arceus, and it looks really cool. Because it's basically set in, uh, like, an uncolonized Hokkaido, basically. Okay. And all the characters... You have kind of characters that were look like characters from the original Diamond and Pearl, but they've got more traditional-looking outfits that might be, quote-unquote, period-appropriate. And it's got a far more... Like, well, Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum did have... Although you had like a story that it wasn't fully open world, you had a lot of exploration to it. But this one's gonna be far. Looks like it's gonna be far more open world. Okay, so it, it's legitimately exciting. Oh, that's awesome! Now I gotta ask, and I know you, like we've been talking about Pokemon because I know you're a big fan of the series. Did was there ever a Pokemon game? You know how like the, the handhelds where it was like the open world kind of game is the game that you're talking about. Is this like the first one that you, we've they've actually had? This is the first one where it looks like they're going full bore because there was open world sections of Sword and Shield, but they felt half-assed and tacked on. Yeah, I'm not like I'm not talking about like the handheld ones, but I'm talking like the console versions of Pokemon games. Well, the hard thing is, is with the, the Switch is both, right? Yeah. So, uh, this is a really a first in total. I'm just kind of amazed they never ever did an open world Pokemon game on console. Like they did on the handhelds. Well, the thing is, it's, it's not what they envisioned Pokemon to be. Okay, because I, I think we've had this conversation in the past, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Because the design method, like the design vision behind it, mm-hmm. has always been something that's portable and shareable. Oh. So the main creative thrust of Pokemon has always been in the handheld games. And the console games were built to support or be or a spin-off adventure from the main games. And that's kind of how it's always been structured. And the Switch gives Game Freak an opportunity to meld those two platforms together. So it's why you got Stadium to support Red Blue. And now that the home console and the handheld portable sharing console are one and the same, mm-hmm. you can do more interesting things. Yeah, remember when Pokemon Stadium Two came out and the box was about as fucking thick as my water bottle here? I've, I've got that box downstairs, eh? Nice. I'm surprised. Oh, I don't think I had it displayed out in the open in the old apartment. No, you didn't. No. Yeah, you'll have to come visit our new place. Oh man, once COVID's over, I'm coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we could probably set up a pretty nice recording space. <laughs> So, Tim, I don't have any more comments I have on this game. If you just want to head off into the close for another we've been evening. We've talked about Pokemon for the last five minutes. I think we're done with the game. Well, guys. <laughs> true enough. True enough, Tim. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger and at Great White Gipster, GR8 WYTE. Fuck! I don't know why I'm starting to laugh right now, Tim. I don't even know. I don't even know. 
You know what it was? I think it was your comment where you're like, Tay, we've been talking about this for five minutes. The game's over. <laughs> if you want to choose an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to continue our discussion on Pokemon, choose an email. Guys at gmail.com. So, Tim, we've got some games we've got to talk about next week. So, we've got this evening's game versus the Winnipeg Jets in Winnipeg. Wednesday, and I believe Thursday, I think it got moved over from Friday to Thursday, versus the Edmonton Oilers, and Saturday, the Battle of Ontario, Leafs versus Senators in Toronto, which can mean only one thing, Tim. We're going to remember it's a Raw episode. Next week's episode, we're not going to be going to war, but we're going to have a SmackDown. Baby. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go, Sands, guys. Woo!